Hello and welcome to Theater 5 from otrgold.com. This episode will begin after a brief message from our sponsors. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Theater 5 presents The Walls of Poison Ivy. Come in. Hi there, Ellery. Oh, good morning, Joe. Did you sleep well? Are you kidding? I bet this hotel hasn't bought two new mattresses since we were students in this town. <laughs> that makes the rocks in them at least 25 years old. Uh, typical of progress in the Middle West. Whenever I leave Manhattan, I feel like a pioneer. Hey, don't knock this part of the country. After all, this is my state and I'm an elected official. Ellery! I bet you haven't seen this newspaper for years. What is it, the local sheet? No, the Student Daily, the Harmon College News. Oh, where'd you pick that up? On the campus. It's a special reunion edition. You and I are on the front page. Well, that's encouraging. Listen to this. It's the lead story. The annual reunion of combined classes at Harmon this weekend will be highlighted by the presence of two outstanding alumni of the class of 1940. Returning 25 years after their graduation will be the Honorable Joseph T. Riley, the popular state senator who has never lost an election, mm -hmm. and Mr. Ellery James, the distinguished drama critic from New York City. I like that part. Uh -huh. Senator Joe, as he is affectionately known to his constituents, will be standing for re-election next fall, while Mr. James, according to informed sources, is in line for the presidency of the Drama Critics Guild. Now, how's that for fame, Ellery, huh? Very impressive. <laughs> May we both be crowned with success. <laughs> oh, uh, excuse me, Joe. Yes, sir. Hello? Simon? Simon Pepper? Well, where, where are you? 902? Well, look, I'm in 906. Yeah, come right over. Joe Riley's here. Good. See you. <laughs> Simon Pepper, the lazy giant of our class. Yeah. <laughs> I haven't thought of Simon for 20 years. You know, he was a dreamy kind of a guy. And with his bill, he could have played football, but he didn't want to be bothered. Yeah, you remember how close we all were? I wonder why. Maybe because he was such a good talker. You remember the night we got stewed in the dorm and we oh, argued? Oh, oh. Uh, come in, Simon. Well, uh, Simon! There he is. <laughs> I greet you with memories of the past. When we were fledglings in an uncomplicated world. Oh, oh Simon, you old son of a gun. How are you, boy? One moment. Yes. You're Joe Riley, and no mistake. <laughs> I recognize that grinning face from a hundred Sunday supplements. Oh, Simon, it's delightful to see you again. Thanks, Elred. I wouldn't have recognized your face, I'm afraid. But I've kept in touch with you through your pungent, dramatic criticism. Well, I'm flattered. <laughs> Sit down, Simon. We have a quarter century of loose ends to pull together. Yeah. 
Holy Moses, I guess we haven't seen one another since we graduated. The Three Musketeers. Mm, I shudder at the memory. Were we ever that callow? <laughs> uh, I was the callow member, I'm afraid. I fiddled the years away, while you boys burned with ambition. Yeah, Ellery and I have done okay. What about you, Simon, huh? Well, I, I, I mean... Uh, if you're taken aback by my appearance, I don't wonder. You see, I'm a floater. With no bank account and no ambition. But that's the path I chose for myself, and I have no regrets. But I I find this incredible. Are you married? No. Now, uh, shall we boys bear our souls without embarrassment, we three musketeers? Well, uh, I, I sure would like to know why you picked your way of life, if you feel like talking. Oh, I do, Joe, I do. I, I've never told this to anyone before because... Uh, well, I've had no friends to tell it to. You see, I've never married, never had a steady job, because I've always been possessed by a morbid, uh, desperate fear. A fear of what, Simon? Of committing murder. What? You're kidding. I see, I've shocked you. But my fear is genuine. You uh, might call it a phobia. I'm afraid that maybe as a result of domestic conflicts or sudden anger at an employer, I could become homicidal. Well, how, how do you explain this phobia? It stems from a history of violence in my family. My brother, in a moment of rage, crushed his employer's skull. And my mother, in a fit of madness, shot my father. Really, Simon? Yes, and as a result of those sanguinary incidents, I'm afraid there are seeds of murder in my genes. Those transmitters of hereditary traits. But that fear is scientifically unfounded. Things like that are not physically inherited. Uh, so I've read, Ellery, but I've not been able to convince myself. For that reason, I've made no permanent alliances, so to speak. Uh, nor, above all, had children. Well, this is all pretty shocking, Simon. You should have done something about it. Have you seen a psychiatrist? No. I've analyzed myself and uh, worked out my own therapy, which is complete isolation. I've managed to suppress my tendencies to quick anger and excitement. In fact, keeping my temper in check has been my life's work. So I've withdrawn from the rat race. With no social security card, no credit cards... No numbered identification, whatever. But, Simon, have you any regrets? None. I have my health and, above all, a clear conscience. <laughs> yes, gentlemen. I'm one member of the class of 1940 who never knowingly did a dishonest or shameful act. Not even to get started in life, to uh, obtain my first break, so to speak. Well, what do you mean by that? Yeah, explain that, will you? <laughs> Gentlemen, I'm not a man to carry tales. The incidents that come to mind took place a quarter of a century ago and have no bearing on the present. Simon, why don't you drop down in a half hour or so? My room's 814. We'll have a drink and talk about the good old days, okay? Certainly, Joe, certainly. But now I... Better go to my own room and try to improve my appearance. Ellery, when I see you later? Yes, Simon. 
You will indeed. Ah, Ellery, come in. Welcome to the cheapest room in the hotel. Simon, uh, before you go up to see Joe, I'd like a word with you. Concern something you said in my room. About my peculiar phobia? No. Your remark about a clear conscience, and you're never having done a dishonest act to get started in life. Mm-hmm. I'm curious. Was there any hidden meaning in that remark? Anything of a personal nature? Well, it it was personal, yes, but there was no malicious intent. Simon, unless you explain, I'm going to be quite angry with you. Oh, dear me, I, I don't want that to happen because, as I told you, uh, I'm a man of peace. However, if you're going to force my hand... Ellery, does the title... St. Elmo's fire mean anything to you? Go on, Simon. I see that it does, and uh, understandably. St. Elmo's fire was a successful play that was produced in New York in 1941. With your name on it as author. I was the author of that play. Come on, you and I know better. The play was written by our English professor, Dr. Alan Blake. That's a lie! I know the facts. You see... I typed the manuscript for Dr. Blake before he died. That was my play. I wrote it during my senior year. No, Ellery, Dr. Blake wrote it. And after he suddenly died of a heart attack, you submitted it as your work and had it produced. So you gained distinction in the theatrical world earlier than most young men. Simon, I can't let you... Get away from me. I don't like being touched. Ah. That's better. I was a playwright. I was. Were you indeed? Then uh, why didn't you continue writing plays? Because I... Because you didn't have the ability. And so you stayed in the theater and became a critic of other men's work. But uh, cheer up, my friend. I've never told anyone. So you've got nothing to worry about. It's ancient history. Yes, Simon. But now it is history. Simon, I'll get to the point. The reason I wanted to see you here in my room was to find out what you meant a while ago. I want a direct answer. (laughs) Joe, you sound like a a prosecuting attorney. Was there anything personal in that guff you handed us about conscience and shameful acts? Personal, yes, but nothing to be exercised about. You see, when you were a student here at college, you were a big man on the campus, a wheeler-dealer. Even then, politics was your game. Go on. At present, as state senator, I I believe you're the white knight of conservatism. Am I correct? One hundred percent. Then tell me, does the name John White ring a bell? Joe, you've upset your drink. Forget it. Who is John White? He never existed. John White was your pseudonym, Joe, when you were a student member of the new World Communist League. When I was... Go on, Simon. When the authorities got interested in radical undergraduate movements, you found it convenient to change your politics. 
And you denounced a sophomore named Peter Bliss, who was also a member of the League. You uh, remember Peter, I'm sure. Keep talking. Peter confessed, not knowing who had incriminated him. Then he committed suicide. And you gained national recognition for your splendid loyalty and returned home after graduation as a patriotic hero. After which came political success. Are you wondering how I gathered my information? You know I am. Very simply. I was a secret member of the League. I see. Simon, do you realize that if you ever repeated that story, I wouldn't stand a chance of re-election? Of course. But I don't intend to repeat it. It's water over the dam. Twenty-five years ago. Yes, Simon, so it is. Now, you creep, get out of here before I break every bone in your body. Oh, I don't think you could, Joe. Seems to me you've grown rather flabby in your middle age. Ellery, <laughs> I've come to talk about Simon. He and I just had a very screwy conversation. About me? No, just about things in general. If you ask me, I think he's out of his mind. I agree with you, Joe. There's something almost sinister about his psychological maladjustment. I feel sorry for the poor guy. He's, he's wasted his whole life completely. Now he's little more than a parasite on society. But you think he's dangerous? Maybe. In my opinion, a useless, neurotic man like Simon doesn't deserve to live. <laughs> Simon? Ellery? Uh, Simon, I, I, I'd like to apologize for losing my temper this morning. How about coming over to my room for a late drink? Good. I'll expect you. Well, make yourself comfortable, Simon. Thank you. Uh, do you take water or soda? Uh, neither. Thanks, Ellery. <laughs> I've always been opposed to diluting good whiskey. <laughs> a sensible man. By the way, Joe ought to be with us this evening. We might recapture a few old memories. Uh, would you like me to call his room? No, I, uh, in view of the confidential chat you and I had this morning, I, uh, I prefer to talk to you alone. Joe knows nothing about that conversation, I assure you. And if you want further assurance, no one will ever know. Look, Simon, don't you realize... Don't I realize what, Ellery? Never mind. Don't be angry with me because I told you I knew about your early indiscretion. You were passionately insistent that I explain myself. Don't you understand? I had to know what you knew. And I told you. In your youth, you stole another man's property. But that experience hasn't corrupted you, I'm sure. As Oscar Wilde pointed out, experience is the name everyone gives to his mistakes. Oh, you... Haven't touched your whiskey. Shall we drink to a buried secret? But it isn't buried. You know it and I know it. For 25 years, my guilt has stretched me on the rack. Well, that's quite an admission, Elry. I see your conscience does bother you after all. Of course it does. And fear as well. 
Simon, don't you realize that you could destroy me? Has it occurred to you that some men would commit murder to obliterate such a secret? Yes. It has occurred to me. Often. But suppose you were to kill me. Would your conscience be able to bear that? Never mind that, Simon! Harry! Stop it! Stop it, I say! I'll destroy you! I've got to! Harry! No! I beg you, don't make me tell you! Have you forgotten seeds of murder? My inherited capacity to kill? Oh, Mother. Why have you done this to me? Your call, please. Get me. Room 814. Yes, sir. Hello, this is Joe Riley. Joe. This is Simon. Yes, Simon. Come up to Elry's room at once. Something has happened here. He is dead, isn't he, Joe? I did kill him. Yes, but why? Why... Because I... My mother's son. What happened? Ellery attacked me. I lost all sense of reason. I grabbed his throat. Why did he attack you? I knew something about Ellery that could have destroyed him. So he wanted to kill me. That's an odd coincidence. I have the same motive Ellery had. And now you want to kill me? Yes, Simon, I do. In fact, I was wondering how to do it when you phoned me. I think I've solved the problem. The open window. Oh, I see. And after that, what? It's very simple. I can dispose of you with no danger to myself. The police will find Ellery's body here and make their own deductions. They'll say you strangled Ellery, then committed suicide by jumping out the window. It's all over, Simon. You kept your secret long enough. No! Stop! Please! I beg you! Your call, please. Yes. What? Oh, my, my... Mr. Pepper, yes, yes, at once. Captain, send security up to 906. Somebody in that room just reported a murder and suicide. The 
Together Five has presented The Walls of Poison Ivy, written by Albert G. Miller, directed by Warren Somerville. In the cast, Elliot Reed, George Petrie, Guy Sorrell, and Helen Choate. Script editor, Jack C. Wilson. Original music by Alexander Vlasatsenko. Orchestra under the direction of Glenn Osser. Executive producer for Theater Five, Mr. Lee Bowman. We invite your comments. Write to Theater 5, New York 23, New York. That's Theater 5, New York 23, New York. This is Fred Foy speaking. This has been an ABC Radio Network.